You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. At River City Church, uh, you will hear us talking about four pillars, four things that we feel like make us distinctive as a church, four things that we really want to concentrate on in how we run and, and what we do at River City Church. And the first is intimacy with the Father. Knowing God as Father, being in close relationship with Him. The second is living in the Spirit, living a life that is led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, um, the gifts of the Spirit, and particularly the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? So they're the first two pillars. The third pillar is that we want to love everybody. We want to go out into the world, we want to go out to Jacksonville, we want to reach the lost, and we want to love people. Right? And the, third, and the fourth pillar is we want to love and care, particularly for the poor. We want to feed the hungry, we want to set the oppressed free, we want to help those in greatest need. So these are our four pillars, right? And uh, what we feel is the leadership of River City Church, um, and Antley's been preaching about this uh, uh, over the last few weeks, is that we feel uh, we're going into a season where we're going to be doing more of the, sec- of the second two pillars, the loving the world, reaching out to the lost, and loving and caring for the poor. This is how we feel like we're being led as a River City Church, part of our growth, part of um, what we're, how we're going to impact our community. And because we feel like this is the direction we're going in, um, I want to speak about something this morning. I want to speak about something which is so important that before we even leave the building, before we even go and do anything, we need to know this thing. We need to know, we need to see, we need to experience the mercy of God. Okay? And so that's what I'm going to be speaking about this morning. So let's pray quickly. Lord, you are here. We turn our attentions to you now. Lord, thank you for your presence in worship. Thank you for the testimony of what you are doing in our lives and in our city. And Lord, I pray now that that as I speak and as we listen, that you would speak. That you would speak by your spirit and lead us and show us who you are and what you have done. Amen. Okay. Now, this is going to, I, I know quite a few of you, okay? In fact, probably most of you here. And this is going to come as a surprise to, to a lot of you, uh, because I know you. Uh, you are not God. And um, you might think you are, but you're not. <laughs> you are like God, right? You are like God. You are made in his image. Uh, You're filled with his spirit. You've been given the mind of Christ. You share in his divine nature. But you are not God, correct? Uh, Don't seem so sure. I think maybe I am God. Maybe I'm God. Maybe I am. No, no, I I can say categorically you are not. Uh, You are not God. You are like him, but you remain distinct from him. You know, he is uh, the ruler and judge of the universe. He is the supreme being in all creation. And though there are many ways in which you are like him, you are not him. Yeah? And there are many verses that explain this to us. There are many verses that explain this to us. Uh, But one of the most clearest in Isaiah 55, where God tells us, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the, as the heavens um, are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are above your thoughts. Correct? So the Lord tells us, he's like, this, I am so different to you. I am so different to you. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. I am so much higher than you. 
Okay, The way I am, who I am, is so much higher than your way. My thoughts are so much higher than your thoughts. And we, we hear this and we read it and we think, yes, that's true. Yes, that is true. And, and we, think, we think about the Lord in those ways and we think, oh, he is so much more powerful than I am. He is so much more holy than I am. He is so much more righteous than I am. But the context here for, for what the Lord is saying about himself is different to those things. Let's read it. From, let's just go back to, to verse 6 where it says this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, this verse comes in the context of mercy. It is because he is merciful that he is most different to us. His thoughts are above our thoughts because they are merciful. His ways are above our ways because he displays mercy. And our nature, our human nature is to worship Okay, we were made to worship God, you're right? Our nature is worship, and we fell into Satan's trap of worshiping ourselves, right? You know, that's what we did. But our nature is to worship. We were made and created to worship, correct? The nature of God is mercy. Our nature is worship. His nature is mercy. We see this in Genesis 2. So in Genesis 2 in the Garden of Eden, we see... Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work, to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. When God created us, he made us to be like him, made us to be in his image, to resemble him and to participate in his work, the caring of creation with authority and creativity. We get to enjoy everything that the Lord has made. We get to enjoy everything that he has created. We get to participate in everything that he wants to do, except in this one thing. There's one thing that we cannot handle. And the one thing we cannot handle is the knowledge of good and evil. In all of the garden, it's the one thing we cannot handle. Only God can handle that. Only God can handle the knowledge of good and evil because only he has mercy. What does that mean? What does the knowledge of good and evil mean? I, you know, this, I think this is some of it, okay? I cannot, I cannot handle the knowledge of my own evil. I cannot handle the knowledge of my own evil. The way I treat my wife, the way I scold my children, all the awful things in my life that I have said and I have done. And the terrible things that I've thought. Selfish, angry, violent, lustful, horrible thoughts. And when I think about and when I become aware of all that I have done, all the evil that I have participated in, I can't handle it. I cannot handle the knowledge 
of my evil. And no matter how hard I can try and rid myself of shame, no matter how hard I try and rid myself of guilt, I cannot rid myself of regret. And there are many things I actually can't forget, right? Many things I've done and said and thought that I can't forget. I cannot save myself and I cannot forgive myself. I can repress and I can ignore, but I can't forget. I can't forgive. I can't save myself. You see, the knowledge of my evil makes me guilty and ashamed. Yeah? The knowledge of my evil makes me guilty and ashamed. The knowledge of my good makes me proud. The knowledge of all the good things I've done in life makes me proud. The knowledge of your sin, the knowledge of all the terrible things you've done, makes me judgmental. The knowledge of all the good you do and all the great things you have in your life and all all the wonderful things that goes on in your life, they make me envious and jealous. You see, I cannot handle the knowledge of good and evil. Right? In and of myself, I cannot handle the knowledge of good and evil. Only God can handle that. Only God can handle that because only he is merciful. And this is the truth. The truth is that uh, you wouldn't even forgive yourself. You wouldn't even let yourself off the hook, let alone anyone else. We are incapable of the mercy that's required for forgiveness. In and of ourselves, Only God is qualified to be judge of the universe because he is mercy. And in this way, we are very different to God. In this way, we are very different to God. He is merciful. I'm sure most of you are familiar with American Idol. Who's seen American Idol here? The TV show. Come on. Yeah. Or America's Got Talent or X Factor or one of those, you know, uh, TV uh, reality talent shows, you know, with a judge and a panel, right? So you're familiar with these things. And, um, and if you've ever seen the first few shows in the series, the first few shows in the series are the auditions, right? And so in these auditions, uh, there are usually two types of auditions. There's two types of auditions. The one is the excellent, where they come in, they sing, and they're great, and they're talented, and they're attractive, and it's like wonderful. You know, this is amazing, and uh, we're going to put you through to the later shows. Yep, so there's those type of auditions. The excellent, and then there's the tragic, okay? So it's the tragic auditions, those terrible auditions which are awful, which are inserted in there for us to laugh at and to to entertain us, right? Uh, To keep us interested. And there is a common setup in uh, some of these uh, auditions where... You know, they've gone through a few people, and there have been some funny ones, uh, some, some excellent ones, and then you get to, to, to another one, and they move on to another one, and, and at this other one, it, it starts differently, and they say, although it's everybody's dream to make it in American Idol, it is particularly special for Janine, okay? Janine. And she, uh, she uh, her grandma died three months ago. And she used to watch this show with her grandma. And they used to dream about how she would be on this show and making the final, you know, shows, right? And dream of winning American Idol. And so then it cuts to like, you know, home video footage and photographs and then Coldplay plays in the background. And what, and what happens here is that, you know, it's, it's moving. It's a true story. And so we get moved by it. 
you know, we get moved and we see. And then what happens is that she goes into the audition. And she goes into the audition and, you know, she's so nervous because it means so much to her that she can barely sing, right? She can barely sing. So she, she starts and then just stops and it's like, I can't do it, it means so much, you know, and she's, she's tearing up. And one of the judges comes up and puts their arm around her and says, okay, you can do it, it's okay, you can do it, okay. And then goes and sits down and, and then, of course, she can do it. And, of course, it's really good, right? It's, it's really good. She's really good. And, um, and so, they, uh, so they put her through. And, and, and she's crying, and the judges are crying, and we're crying, right? Because it's, it's awesome. It's this cathartic, emotional moment. It's amazing. And you've all seen this, and this is all good. Except this. The only people who have sad stories in these shows are the talented and the beautiful. The only people that have sad stories in these shows are the talented and the beautiful. The bad auditions, the tragic ones, they have no stories. It would be a bit of a downer, wouldn't it, if like, you know, they, they get up and talking about how, how their, their mother's working three jobs to put them through this or how you know, their, their, their father's struggling with cancer. And we saw their stories and then we saw their additions. We probably wouldn't laugh, right? It would be a bit of a downer on that. And so these people, they don't have a story. These people don't get to have problems. These people don't get to have histories. They just get put up in front of us for us to laugh at. And if you open your eyes and, and actually watch some of those auditions, those tragic ones, you end up seeing that some of these people actually have you know, various levels of like, delusion or, or mental illness, right? And we just laugh. And we just laugh, you know? <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> look, look at them. Look at them with their undiagnosed autism. <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> Look at them with their narcissistic personality disorder. <laughs> oh, look at them trying to find love and acceptance. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Right? This is what we do with those shows. Those people don't have stories. Those people don't have histories. We deny them that. They are just the freaks that are there to entertain us. And the way most people watch these shows actually reveals to us how kind of cruel and, and merciless we, we are. How kind of cruel and merciless we are. We lack mercy. We don't even see it. We just watch it and it's just entertainment. And we lack the mercy to really see what it is. It's not that nice. And I'm sorry you had to hear that because you thought you were nice, didn't you? I'm sorry. On the scale of mercy, his thoughts are far above our thoughts. And his ways are far above our ways. And we see this most clearly in the person of Jesus. And the way he thought and acted. In Matthew 9, it says this. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in his house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And here Jesus is quoting the prophet Hosea, okay? And he's quoting the prophet Hosea when he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And Jesus uses the term sacrifice to imply all religious activity, okay? He's saying sacrifice includes the observance of the law, it includes the rituals of worship, it includes all your obedience and all your action, okay? Jesus is saying everything you do for God... All your groups, all your ministries, all your giving, all your songs. Before all of this, I desire mercy. And so Jesus tells us to go away and think about that, right? Go away and think about this. So I did. And I think this is hard for us. Because all our activity as the people of God is really important. It's really important and it's very good. And there is so much value in what we do and what we've done and what we want to do. And we have stood on this stage and I have stood on this stage many, many times and spoken about the importance of living as sacrifices to the Lord. Yeah? You've heard this from me, you've heard this from Antley, you've heard it from Tom, you've heard it from whoever. It's so important that our lives become sacrifices, yeah? It's so important that we become like Jesus in this way. It's so important that our lives are worship, that we feed the poor, that we reach the lost, that we build the church, right? So important that we feed the poor, we reach the lost, we build the church. And we were right. We weren't wrong to say that. They are important, they're essential, but they cannot be done without mercy. You cannot feed the poor. You cannot reach the lost. You cannot build the church without mercy. Or you can, but what you're actually doing is religious observance. And you're not doing the very thing that Jesus wants. And Jesus is clear about this, that religious observance is not what he wants. Religious observance is not what he requires. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And if you look into our world, if you look into our culture, you look into the world, you will see sacrifice. You will see people working hard to build their businesses. You will see people trying to, uh, making sacrifices in their lives and their families in order to pursue their career. You will see people making sacrifices to send their kids to college. You'll see people making huge sacrifices when they really believe in something. You know, they'll protest, they'll campaign, they'll give money, they'll give time. You see, in this world, there is sacrifice. Sacrifice is not the thing that that the world needs. What the world needs is mercy. What the world needs is love. What the world needs is compassion. So when we sacrifice, when we give our lives, we do that in the direction of mercy. So when we live... As living sacrifices to the Lord, we give in the direction of mercy. And probably the most important verse in Scripture about sacrifices is in Romans 12. 
In Romans 12, it says, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. But that verse begins like this. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You can only live as a sacrifice in the light of his mercy. You can only live as a sacrifice if you view the mercy of God. You need to become a viewer, a beholder of the mercy of God in order to offer yourself as living sacrifices. Otherwise, it is just religious observance. You need to behold it. You need to see it. You need to see that this is who he is and this is what he has done for you. You need to receive it before you ever step out of this building you need to feel it the mercy of God in your life that you could not save yourself only he could save you so what does it mean to view the mercy of God it means to view the blood of Jesus the blood of Jesus is the mercy of God In Revelation 5, it says this. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing, the scroll of judgment, on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll of judgment. Or even look inside it. And I wept. And I wept. Because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Juba, the root of David, has triumphed. And he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb. Looking as if it had been slain standing at the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders and the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth and he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne and when he had taken it the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb and each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense which were the prayers of God's people And they sang a new song, singing, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You see, in the Garden of Eden, there was only one who was able to eat the fruit. There was only one who was able to eat the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and that was the Lord. He was the only one who could do it because he was the only one who was merciful. And here in heaven, there is only one who is able to open the scroll. There is only one who can take that scroll and open it and read it. And that is Jesus. And that is Jesus because he is merciful. And it is Jesus not because it's just part of his nature, but because he manifested himself as a human being and gave his life for us. He, He humbled himself unto death and took the cross and bled and died. And because of that, he is worthy. 
He is not worthy just because he died. He is worthy because he is merciful. He is worthy because he showed us mercy. Where we would not show mercy to ourselves or to each other, where we could not rescue ourselves or anyone else, he stepped in and rescued us all. Before we knew him, before we knew him, before we comprehended any of this, before we saw him, before we could thank him, he died for us because of his mercy. And because of his mercy, you can be free. You can be free of guilt. You can be free of shame. The, the things that you cannot forget, he will take away. And he says, I have forgotten them so you can forget them. He frees us from our pride and envy and says, you don't need to be proud. You don't need to be envious because I love you and that's all you need. And he frees us from judgment of others and says, you needed this mercy as much, if not more, than anyone else. And it is in the light of this mercy. It is in view of this mercy. It's as we behold the mercy of God, therefore we can live as living sacrifices. That we can live in the direction of mercy. That when we go, we go with what? Mercy. To see those who are lost, to see those who are poor, to see those who are oppressed, and to move towards them in love. Not because the Bible tells us to, but because he loves them. Not because it's the right thing to do. Not because that's how churches are built. That's not because it's good to do that, but because He has been merciful to us. He has shown us mercy, and so therefore we will show his mercy to everyone who we meet. We can sacrifice our lives to the Lord in the light of his mercy, and only in the light of his mercy. Why don't we stand?